right. Welcome, everybody. It is episode 48 of Hot Take from the Kitchen. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Hot Take from the Kitchen. And our email address is hottakefromthekitchen at gmail.com. It is H-O-T-T-A-K-E-F-R-O-M-T-H-E-K-I-T-C-H-E-N at gmail.com. And no new emails this week. So... And our guest tonight is Joe Gentry, who we are very happy to have on, and we will get into that later. So thank you, Joe, for coming. It's the one off the bucket list. Uh, my pleasure. All right. I guess we'll get into the hot take topics, and the first hot take topic is probably the biggest hot take topic we've had in a while, and that is Tiger Woods won the Masters yesterday. So... It was a big accomplishment for him after 11 years of not winning a major. He finally won one and got the monkey off his back. 14 years since he's won the Masters. Yeah, so it was big. It's emotional. I cried a little bit watching it. I was good until he picked up his son, and I was after that I started crying. I think it was his mom when I really started. Yeah. Um, but you're a mama's boy. Yeah, it is. It's kind of crazy, right? Like. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, what a story he's had. Some, a lot of it's self-inflicted, of course, so oh, yeah. he can only feel bad for him so much, but um, still a pretty cool story. I mean, his injuries are tragic nonetheless. Again, some of that's self-inflicted, but um, it's cool to see him. I mean, by his own admission, he didn't think he was ever going to golf again. So, um, a lot of people have written him off, but it's yeah. nice to see him come back and win. I mean, he didn't dominate, like, Past Tiger wins, but he came back from behind, so it was nice to see. Never before in a major has he ever come from behind. First time ever. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see him. I don't know. The whole thing is when I didn't really think he's going to be able to be Molinari, and then when he hit that pine cone and the ball went in the drink, I was like, there it is. I don't know if you've ever seen Bobby Fischer when searching for Bobby Fischer the movie with Lawrence Fishburne goes, there it is. That's where I was like, I was full laundry in the back room. I was like, that's it right there, Allison. You heard me yell from across the house, and she's like, what happened? And I was like, where are you in a tree? The boat and the drink. The door is open now because that kid was playing lights out golf. And uh, I was uh, – and, and it was nothing to do with Tiger. Tiger was playing great. Molinari was playing better. So. Oh, yeah. I was worried there for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I have heard some people say that it was still the Tiger intimidation factor because I think they said four out of five other people in the last two groups hit, hit it in the water mm -hmm. on 12. Yeah. So. I think my favorite thing that I saw was it was um, last year we watched Tiger when that one tournament, I don't know if you saw Joe, but yeah. um, Tiger said it was the loudest he's ever heard the crowd cheer. And that's because everybody had cell phones in their hands. So no one clapped. Everybody just went woo like that. Yeah. So it's the loudest. It's a weird noise he never heard before because everybody had a cell phone in their hand. And I thought it was really cool that Augusta doesn't let you have any type of that oh, stuff. Yeah. So it's very like you're, you're forced to be present while you're there. And it was kind of refreshing to be able to watch the crowd and not see cell phones and cameras and, and uh, Michael Phelps is everything. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, did you see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that was absolutely the best thing at 16 ever. So, um, yeah. All right. 
Yeah, I like Augusta for that. No, no technology out there. It's just you and the players and. Well, how do you think they do that? Do you have any idea? Well, it's probably no different than like trying to get into U of M Stadium. I mean, you you can't take anything in there. Yeah. I mean, that's how they do security. They they make you take your hat off. Yeah. And they so that you're not taking something in your hat. You mm-hmm. can't you can't take a purse. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. So I mean, you can take a cell phone, but. That's how you do it. Yeah. You just you have to go through a gate. And... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they probably probably tells you on your pass. Leave it in the car because yep. it's not going to make it yeah. in. So, yeah. No regular cameras either, which is kind of nice. Yeah. So. The noise was pretty loud. Though. Yeah. <laughs> you could, I mean, all over the course when they show somebody else teeing off on a hole, you could hear the crowd's cheering somewhere for something. It's yeah. just incredible. Well, it was. All those people. That was a that was a really really cool tournament to watch. Yeah. It was surreal too because meanwhile the weather deteriorated for us as we were yeah. watching this. So as you're watching it, it's you see tigers sweating and then you're worried about the rain <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're just having a pending major <laughs> snow squall coming that drops six inches of snow on us in in a couple yeah. hours. So now it's mostly gone. Now so. it's almost gone. It's crazy. All right, we'll move on. And our second hot take topic is the NBA playoffs started this weekend. I watched games off and on. There's a couple stinkers and a couple upsets, too. The Pistons. Yeah, they got stopped last night. Not having Blake didn't help. And he's going to be out the whole series. Mm -hmm. 35 points, come on. (laughs) That's that's a stinker, all right. (laughs) Yeah. And Drummond pushing Giannis. Or is he suspended one game? I don't know. I know they gave him a level two. And it I, looked worse than it really was. Well, it did. Back in the eighties and nineties, I actually loved it. it. <laughs> I mean, I was like, it was nice to see some yeah, emotion. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, the, yes, give me that. I've been more happy with Andre Drummond the past week and a half than I have ever been with him. So yeah. I know. Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah. But I I give the refs credit because yeah. they wanted to control. The yeah. game, and that's what you got to do in a playoff situation. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally loved everything about it. I had no problem with the way the refs called it. I had no problem with Giannis going off. I'm sure if you're a Bucks fan, you're happy, and I had no problem with Drummond saying, "Hey, you know what? I've had enough of this crap. <laughs> Boom! I'm gonna throw you to the ground. I'm, I'm out of here." So probably could have showed a little more effort getting the rebound. But yeah, whatever. So, so I don't think Detroit's gonna win. I we kind oh, of agree. Yeah, no, no. Um, what about Brooklyn Philly? Uh, Embiid's injury is going to hurt Philly a lot there. Yeah. So. I think Embiid going one for 99 and Simmons not be able to shoot a jump shot. Once again, it's coming. But okay. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I think that's the problem with the NBA is that they literally have two different games. They have the regular season where no one really cares. And then all of a sudden people start playing defense in the playoffs and games matter a lot more. And, you know, all of a sudden, people are closing out on Simmons. Yeah. And, um, they said Embiid shot more threes than J.J. Redick did. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to win that way. Yeah, and, yeah, I don't even know how to feel about that whole thing. It's just a mess. But, yeah. Um, I think that was the main one I saw that really surprised me. But I wasn't surprised at the Orlando same time. beat Toronto. Oh, I'm not surprised by that either. I don't like Toronto, though, so. Yeah. Toronto had an off game, but they 
I mean, they still lost, but they only lost by like two. Right. I don't know. The West, San Antonio beat Denver. That's kind of a big deal. Other than that, I don't know. They didn't pay too much attention. Golden State won. Yeah. Houston won. Everybody's winning that's supposed to win, I guess. Yeah. For the most part. All right, I guess we'll move on. And topic number three is Game of Thrones premiered last night after almost two years. Do you watch Game of Thrones, Joe? I don't. Okay. But I worked with people that were hooked at Game of Thrones party every episode. Wow. I mean, crowds of people would come yeah. to the to their house. I mean, they just... You know, I, there was a group of us that were texting that all were watching, and then I was like, we should just have everybody over. Because <laughs> all if, if these people are bothering you while you're watching it, hey, oh, then why don't you just have all these people? And I don't know. That's what it is. So. Excellent. It's, a, it's Easter. <laughs> it's Easter evening. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, any surprises? Uh, no. Wasn't too many surprises. It's pretty much everything we already knew. Anyway. I'm glad Sam lived. John didn't kill him when he told him the. To... I don't think he's going to kill him. Well, no, and then. But I, I think Sam is going to take it out on Daenerys there. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting. And then um, Bran and Jamie. He's a little creepy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just leave me in the courtyard here. Just... Well, yeah, but I mean, if you got thrown out of the window and broke both your legs and you knew that guy was coming. Well, I know that, but. Would you sit there and be like, hello? <laughs> you want to go outside? No, I'm waiting for something. Yeah. I think the best part about it was it was literally, they hadn't seen each other since the very first episode. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. Man. I'm waiting so, for an old friend. Yeah. But it's been roughly nine years in the making of this yeah. reunion, you know, so. Well, when. Jamie got there. He's like, all right, you need to apologize. <laughs> yeah. Brand creeps me out, though. But I guess that's kind of expected. I mean, it's his character. Yeah. So, other than that, I mean, nothing really big happened besides Daenerys telling Sam that she killed her, killed his dad and brother. Just uh, five more episodes. I kind of respect her for saying that, though. Yeah. Just well, saying, I don't think she, she didn't know, but. She does know. Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't kill him in a very nice way either. No. Here's my dragon. So, yeah. Other than that, I don't know. We'll see. So there's only six episodes this season? Yes. But they're supposed to, I thought they were supposed to be an hour and a half long each. Uh, the last four or something. Oh, right. So when it ended after 55 minutes, I was kind of like, but whatever. I think the epics will be the last four episodes of the season for the series. And then I found out that Smoking Jay is on a sabbatical until next week, the 24th. So then I was disappointed that I had no Smoking Jay. I was looking forward to Jay as much as I was to Game of Thrones. And then I got done. I thought I was going to change the channel. And then I was keeping up with the Kardashians. I was absolutely disappointed by that. Because I didn't know who was going to watch that. Saw something somewhere. Something happened to Jay. I don't know if it was good or bad. I'll have to look it up while you uh, do your trivia question. All right, so we'll move on to trivia then. Unless you want to talk about Notre Dame being on fire. I mean, you Ooh. want to touch on it, you can. 
don't you go ahead. Oh. Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris was on fire today, and one of the pillars collapsed, and they said the roof was all burnt. And somebody they interviewed said that there was no hope for the cathedral, so I don't know what's going to happen with it. When I left, the news was the two big towers that have the bells, they can't, the fire, the fire chief said it may not be sustainable and the fire will bring the towers down because the one bell weighs 20,000 pounds. And they said if it comes down, it will bring the towers down. And I can't, I can't stop it. Yeah. <clears throat> have you been to Paris, Joe? No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, Allison's been to Paris and um, I texted her today. Like at first, hey man, know your name's on fire. And she was like, I think she thought I was talking about the campus at first, I think. And then she realized like, holy cow. Like, she's like, whatever. And I sent her a picture of it. And she was like, oh my gosh. So immediately when we got home, she went all of her Europe books and she was like, I can't believe you know, and then I was watching it throughout the day. In fact, that's why I didn't watch the Boston Marathon or Jackie Robinson Day because I was too busy watching this thing burn up. And they were talking about, like, it survived the French Revolution, yeah. World War II. I mean, it's been through some just crazy stuff. And here it is. It's going through renovations. And, and going through renovations. And some guy probably flicked a cigarette. And it's Quasimodo. It tried to ring in the bell. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's just sad. It really is. It is. is. All right, we'll move on to trivia then. And the last trivia question was, what is a full cult pendulum and where can you find one? So was, Joe, do you know the answer to this one? Well, it's the pendulum at the Jesse Besser Museum. You are correct. Ryan Fairchild did not know that answer, so you should go. Uh, really? Yeah. I was I really surprised it didn't know that, but I mean, I wasn't going to give it away. Hmm. So I guess I'll read the answer we were given by the CVB, and they said it's a simple device that demonstrates the rotation of the Earth. It was introduced in Paris in 1851 by French physicist Jean-Bernard Foucault and was the first visual proof of that the Earth rotates. And we have one in our very own Jesse Besser Museum in Alpina. It is located at the 45th parallel and the time required for the pendulum to return to the starting point is 33 hours and 56 minutes. A pendulum placed at the north or south pole will complete a 306 degree rotation in a 24 hour period. And Jesse Besser's pendulum is suspended from the ceiling above the main floor. A universal joint allows it to swing freely in any direction. And a free-swinging pendulum cannot change its plane, Newton's law of motion. And once started, it will continue to swing in the same direction. And the pendulum is kept in, a, is kept in motion by an electromagnet, which induces a current that supplies the necessary energy to overcome friction and air resistance to keep it swinging uniformly. Without an external power source, the length of the swing will decrease in a few hours almost to zero. Quite the contraption. Well, I learned something new. Yeah. I, uh, in that Alpina video I made, I actually took a time lapse of that for about a half hour. And I had How many pigs did it tease did it knock down? I don't remember, but I remember watching it go yeah. through, and then um, your daughter's wonderful words, it really didn't make any reference of something of that clip, so it just fell to the floor <laughs> and um, it never made it. 
into the video, but um, I do have that. I did take it because I felt it's like when you go to the museum, it's one of the things that you know you, you look at when you're there. So, all right, maybe next year or this year. You never know. You know, <laughs> we got things planned. All right, and this week's question is: the 45th parallel stretches 135 miles across Michigan's Lower Peninsula. Although it would take longer to travel that distance in a car because of Michigan's numerous inland lakes. Just south of Alpena, sanctuary of the Great Lakes, the 45th parallel is marked by a green sign on Squaw Bay. Can you name all the continents and oceans that the 45th parallel north runs through? Holy cow! I'm out. Continents and oceans, probably only two oceans. Yep. Pacific and Atlantic. It's got to be Europe, right? No. No. Um, Asia. Yeah. Continent, North American continent, of course. Yeah, I guess it would be Europe. This is Europe in it? So three is the answer? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, well, hey, we'll uh, just save for next week, though. Yeah. We'll quiz the person we have on next week, which I really haven't figured it out yet. But I think it's going to be on a different day. That's right. Yeah. So we'll make it work. Well, it's probably going to happen over the holiday. I'm guessing is what's going to happen. So, yeah. But we'll tease that next out. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk with Joe. All right. All right, Joe. Um, why don't you – because I know you're – at a transplant at heart, right? You're not from Alpena? Oh, I am. Oh, you are? Okay. Born here, raised here. All right, good. Yeah. But you spent some time away from Alpena. Yeah. Yes. So why don't you uh, fill everyone in on that, and then uh, we'll go from there. Graduated Alpena High, went to Alpena Community College, um, went to Michigan State University, graduated from Michigan State, um, worked for Motor Wheel and Lansing for a, a short period, and... Both my brothers worked at Besser Company, and I came home like Thanksgiving one time, and he said, you know, they're trying to hire young graduates. You, why don't you put your name in, you come back to Alpena. I said, I don't know if I wanted to do that or not, you know. And so I did, and they offered me a job, and it seemed like a, a pretty good job at the time. And I worked there 18 years, and left there to go to work for LTV Steel in Cleveland. Um, when I applied for this job from an ad in the Wall Street Journal of all things, <laughs> out of, just out of the blue, and I was hoping that it was up on the Iron Mine up in Duluth, and that's kind of where I wanted to be. And they ended up it was they were the th three steel companies owned Preskill um, Stoneport. Um, National, Bethlehem, and LTV. And LTV was the majority shareholder and managing partner. And so that's where I was placed. And it was a weird situation, but a good one for me. You know, they used to call me the company spy and whatever, but I was, uh, I worked for the steel companies, the owners. So nobody at the plant was my boss. The plant manager wasn't. And I worked with them to make sure that the owner's interests were being maintained and everything. And so then LTV went bankrupt or was going into bankruptcy and they sold off. They were selling assets and they sold that plant to Lafarge. And I worked for Lafarge for a short while. 
they offered me a job at Youngstown, Ohio. And went, my wife and I went down there and looked and came back. And I ran into a friend at a grocery store and said, hey, I understand you're looking for a job. I said, well, I have a job if I want to move to Youngstown. You know, stay in Alpena. She said, I just interviewed for a job at First Federal, but I just took a job with Habitat for Humanity, and they want a personnel person. So I quick fired up a resume and dropped it off in the night deposit box. <laughs> No, literally. Next day, Marty Thompson called me, and I knew Marty from my days at Guild because that was when they were deregulating the power business, and we were a big power purchaser when we were at Stoneport. And so we were buying off-grid power because we were running it during non-peak hours, and so then selling our excess, and Guild Gas and Electric was buying our excess. So I got to know Marty because he was the CEO out there. And so he called me up and said, if you're interested, I'll sit down with you this afternoon. Sat down in his office. He offered me a job right at the table. And I said, let me think about it and talk to my wife. And so I stayed there and worked at First Federal for 18 years until they merged with M-Bank. And M-Bank was at the point in my life where I should retire. And so it was a big transition, and I made the decision to uh, retire in October. So it's kind of been my mother passed away then, and so that's kind of my my background. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. Um, I know you've done so much within the community during all that time. It's been a I know I don't know if you are you still an ACC trustee? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And. Um, I know that's, um, I always remember when I went up to ACC, I, I saw your picture up there and I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I know Joe. So um, what else, um, what other things are you involved in? I know, like I said, I, the trustee is one of them. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll put a plug in for employers here. Yeah. Um, one of the things that when I look back at what got me involved in everything when I started working at Besser Company, Phil Park came into my office or in, into my my cubicle office, whatever in personnel. Sat down, he said, Boys Club, big brothers, big sisters, and one other a united way. Wh- which board do you want to be on? And I kind of looked at him, I said, What, what do you mean? He said, Well, we, we have a philosophy here. We like to have our managers volunteer to be board members in service organizations where they have to get people to do things when you're not paying them. We think the experience is invaluable to growing as a leader and a manager. So these are three boards that have openings and we've committed one of our people, one of our managers to each one of these boards. Which one do you want? I'm getting you first choice. Well, that's nice you had a first choice. Well, mm-hmm. I did. And I went to Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And that kind of started it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went to the United Way board and was on the United Way board for a number of years. And the beauty is you make all these community connections of other people who are volunteering. And it's a different relationship. 
because you're, you're, you're not getting paid to do what you're doing. You're doing it because you care about the organization. You care about the community. You care about the people that you're serving. And, and you realize that, that there's an awful lot of people, especially in our community, that do that. And they're great people. And I, and I made so many good friends, and uh, they got me tied into all the other things that, yeah. that, that came out of that. You know, all the, all the races that that we've, the Dork Brothers, that we've uh, helped sponsor and help with, all came out of those relationships and organizations. I was on the business relationship committee at the hospital, and I just threw out there, they're looking at ways to uh, grow the community, you know, community awareness, and, and get more business honor roll members. And I said, why don't we do a race? And so the Alferis has been going on for you know, about 15 years, and it's, it's a huge event for them. Um, and that's kind of how that all rolls out. It's you get involved in these organizations and um, you do the best you can. It's amazing how I can relate to what you said. Um, you tend to make connections with people when you start volunteering for things. And a lot of the times it's the same people volunteering for the things. It just, yep. um, I know whether it would be good. Michelle McEwen comes to mind for me. Um, <laughs> she was served on the Boys and Girls, um, sorry, the, the United Way board. Um, she was a downtown ambassador when I was involved with them. Um, I know she's done some stuff with child. I mean, we did girls on the run together. I just, there's just been so many things where I do them and she's there too. She's another one, like you said, where I've made this connection with her. And now, of course, she works with my wife. So, um, but yeah, I can relate to that. And it's amazing how you can do one and then all of a sudden you kind of meet someone and maybe you start getting pulled over to another one. Um, it, it is, you know, so. One of the nice things is is that in going along and, and doing races, putting on these events, we've been able to become sustainable so that we can financially support organizations and help out. Whether it's you know, a big one right now is we help the theater. We um, you know we made a we made a significant um, commitment to their capital campaign um, over a number of years of using you know proceeds from some of the events that we do. Um, we, we, because Norm's been so generous with opening the Aplex and letting use the Aplex for a lot of our events, um, we, we support the pool because we want the pool to be open all year round, right? Not shut down in the summertime. Um, so it, those, you know, we we've helped Special Olympics. We, I mean, I can't even begin to name all the different organizations. Yeah. Maybe not directly related to them, but someone sees us as uh, as an opportunity to help them if it's financially then that's good um if it's volunteering then that's that's even better yet so if we can figure out a way to um, fit in to what they're doing i know um <clears throat> why don't you share we'll pivot to dork brothers if you're all right with that oh yeah, yeah. Dork brothers. um we've had the dork brothers story told to us once on here but I'd love to hear your end version because we've had um, Matt Cynthia Machinsky. I'm yeah. sure you were of them. Um, they both told us the story of how they met. And it was interesting. Their story matched, um, <laughs> which I thought was a, was really cool. I'm sure Brad found it interesting too. But I loved, I, we've already heard from Mark how kind of uh, Jacobs, 
yep. who's on here. Um, he's an unbelievable Joe Gentry fan. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's. He's quite. I think he's probably the biggest Joe Gentry fan I know. Probably his daughter. Yeah, uh, no, I think Mark's probably bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, why don't you give us the beginnings to where it is now? Well, we used to meet at uh, a group of us. Started out as the Alpino Windsuckers. I mean, that goes back in early 70s. And we used to meet every day over in front of Randy Bouchard's house. He'd get out of school from teaching. And there was a, a, a group of us, Stan Mishley, Jan Fairchild, Wayne Christopherson, myself, and any other people that would, would join in. And we uh, decided to do the Crystal Lake Team Marathon. It runs around Crystal Lake, and it's every August. And the first guy, the first leg is uh, 10K, and then the next there's four or five-mile legs. It's a, it's a wonderful um, location to run this event. And so we need to have a team name. And Randy's son, Jimmy, who teaches down in Alcona, was just a young guy at the time. And he used to tell us, you guys look like a bunch of dorks. You know, because at that time, polypropylene underwear was what you wore underneath running shorts when it got cool. And they only made it in one color, navy blue with stripes that looked like like prison stripes. That's just the way it was. And so I have some old pictures. And you look at it, oh, God, you guys look like a bunch of dorks. And so we said, hey, there we go. That's the name of the team, Dork Brothers Racing Team. And so that's what we entered as. And we had singlets made up, Dirk Brothers Racing Team. Well, it got to be so that as we ran like the Free Press Marathon and other events, people began to know the Dirk Brothers. And so, you know, the people said, you guys all really brothers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh. so we started sponsoring races thanks to Tom Bennett. Tom Bennett was the one that wanted to keep kids running through the summer. And he... I was coaching at Alpine Community College cross country, and he took the men's job, and I was the women's uh, cross country coach. And he said, "We need to do a race." He said, "I'll do all your timing if you'll run everything else." And that started the ball rolling. 1978, we took over the Thunder Bay Run from uh, the sports shop downtown, Larson's Outfitters Sports Outfitters. Mm -hmm. They did the first one. And then the next year, they decided they went out of business, and we carried and took it on from there. And so, 41 years running for that event, um, and that's probably our biggest event. Most runners, we get between four and five hundred now every summer, um, and it all you know, it just kind of the wheel kept turning, and we incorporated the Dork Brothers and joined the Roadrunners. Um, clubs of America so that we could have insurance and that's the story behind the Dark Brothers um, and as new members if guys have quit running and new members have started running if you join us on a run you're a Dark Brother you know if you run with the group on Saturday mornings you're a Dark Brother that's just uh, that's the way it works and most of them participate or volunteer at our events they're always there to help out so there's yeah. probably about 30, maybe 40 official people that consider themselves dark brothers. Mm -hmm. I mean, men and women. So that's the story. I know last year during the marathon, I'd end up, I wanted to take pictures of, and we wanted to, 
my wife and I were adamant about um, we uh, we just we've ran enough races away from Alpina that it's just not a race if you don't have a bell, somebody and cheering along oh, the yeah. way. So <clears throat> Allison's parents live along that half marathon route. Uh, they live right behind a, a house on that um, trail. So we put back the truck up on there and we were out there with you know making noise as the runners went by. And then as we were kind of following Brad, who was one of the people we were cheering for, we got to one of the aid stations. They were like, hey, we need help with water. I got to go <clears throat> get to the other one. Would you mind? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I don't mind helping out. So then we were, <clears throat> Alice and I ended up being the one that was on a trucky road for a little while. We were doing the aid station on a trucky road. And then uh, after all the runners, we kind of went through. Then we headed back in. But, um, yeah, I always – I don't think people understand all the volunteer time and all the people that go into trying to make a race, um, especially like a half marathon work. Yep. Um, even a 5K, it's kind of crazy as Brad has learned it's the hard work. work the it's, it's a lot of work. It, it is, you know, and, and it's and Brad probably wants he, people start coming to him and say, hey, can you help us on a 5K? Can you tell me what I need to do? Everybody thinks you're going to put one on and you're going to make a bunch of money or raise money for something. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, you have to go out and get sponsors. I mean, the sponsors you want to cover your costs, and your registration money is going to cover other things like your medals, trophies, awards, or whatever. And, and that's all the back room work that has to go into um, doing an event. And, you know, and I tell people, I says, you, you might do it. I'll guarantee you, you'll do it one year, maybe two years, and you'll probably walk away and say it's just not worth it for all the work that has to go into it. Um, we're lucky. Um, we, we just got a great big group of volunteers that know what they're doing. I don't have to worry. They, they show up. I call them. I say, hey, can you do registration? Yep. I'll be there with my kids. And, you know, and I mean, they're just certain people that they know what you're doing. You don't have to worry about it. You got it set up. They take care of it. You can go do your thing, you know, other thing at the, on race day. Um, and, and just setting up the course, making sure it's marked in directional areas. And if you have, what are you going to do if you're crossing a road? I mean, and I've always had safety as my top concern. I don't like crossing streets. I, you know, I prefer to have a course that there isn't any intersections and preferably not on roads that are heavily trafficked. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not easy to find. No, it isn't. In Alpena because... You got this lake out there that cuts you off, you know, yeah. and you have US 23 and, you know, even our bike paths are are, are not that wide and accessible and about the only places where you do yours, you know, that's a nice five mile loop um, on that side of the road. You got one starting point. That's basically the fairgrounds. Um, and, you know, the city always say you got to clean up. You got to keep the got to keep it open during your race, so there can be people with bikes and dogs, and um, you kind of like to stay away from that if you can. Um, so yeah, it's it's a big job. Yeah, I thoroughly appreciate it, though. I know we've yeah. um, throughout the years um, have done a lot of them, and I enjoy it. I'm doing another one. I know last year, Brad talked to me on my birthday. I haven't ran in like a year. Brad's like, on your birthday, why don't you do it with me? And I was like, oh, all right, fine. I was so, willing to run it with you. I know. No, so no. then we did that. And then, of course, now this year, we could talk about it a little bit. You're, again, sponsoring the um, Thunder Bay Theaters 5K. 
Yeah. And um, after spending some time with Jeff and talking with him, I've come to learn that really this is Thunder Bay Theater's biggest fundraiser of the year. Um, this for whatever all the things they try, it just seems like this one tends to generate the most people and um, the most money. So I told them, I go, well, let's see what we can do and try to help out a little bit. Well, I thank you, generous contribution of Hamilton tickets. Honestly, gosh, I I think that's created a buzz and, um, and people don't have to run. They can walk it. It's a 5K. I mean, I think most people can, I mean, and, and the course is on the bike path, so there's there's no roads or anything. So even if you have someone that's in a wheelchair yeah, or that, that, that can't, and we've had people that yeah. have done that. So, and we can shorten it. I mean, there's a way that you don't have to do the whole 5K if you're just walking it and you want to shorten it. Kind of like what we do with um, the uh, Zanta Club's uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Walk in yeah. October. Um, you know, we, we run a 5K, but we also tell people you can, you, if you if you want to competitively walk it, you don't have to do the whole 5K. Yeah. So. You, um, you start probably at the entrance of the Heritage. Yeah, the Heritage. at the Heritage Trail. Yeah, and then it loops around the river. And there's a couple different ways where you can, those of you that know the area, you can do, I think it's two loops, right? Isn't that about what it is for the 5K? Actually, it's one loop. I, it depends on which course they use. I give them a couple of maps to say which one do you prefer. I guess yeah. it depends on a little bit on the weather. Oh, because you like figure eight through it, don't you? We figure eight through it. Yeah. So then, okay. But there is a way, like you said, where if you don't want to run the whole thing, you can just kind of do a mini loop and shorten it out. And so last year, my brother and his wife, he lives in Maui, was here for the, to come see my mom. And, she, and my brother's got a, uh, an artificial knee, so he can't run, run. And so he and Tanya walked the, the whole thing. And she ended up winning her age group and, and won tickets to the theater. She said, I still got those, darn it. I am going to use them when I come back in August. That's all good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, I guess, we, it's cat, cats out of the bag, so we would just talk about it. Brad also donated to Tigers and Phillies tickets. Yes. Which uh, we could like to kind of rub in Mendoc's face that Tigers are going to beat the Phillies. Oh, but but yeah. um, Jeff's a big Philadelphia guy. So Brad was very strategic in his uh, ticket purchase. <laughs> well, that's so, cool. Yeah. So not only will they have that, they'll have the opportunity to win either sets of those. And um, I, my understanding is once you get there, you'll have the ability to buy more tickets. So if you want to race, you get one. And then if you when you're there, you can buy more. Um, so And then that all goes in, and it's all going money toward the theater, which uh, we're big fans of here on the pod. And I know you are too. Yes, absolutely. And um, your um, your daughter Anne does a lot of things for them, and uh, it's, uh, she's super awesome too. So, so it's interesting your your contribution to that. And as I know, on Al Ferris, the the reason why they got numbers up is because they give away football tickets. Mm -hmm. um, back when up before it was Mid Michigan, the Alpine Regional, they had a connection with the Cancer Center. They had a connection at U of M in the athletic department. And, and they gave, like, the box seat tickets to two games. Oh. And so then they also got hockey game tickets, too, because hockey season starts, like, in October yeah. for their non-Big Ten game. And so I know a bunch of people that would, well, I'll run it because I, 
and, and you had to be, you had to enter the yeah. event. Yeah. It, and the people at the hospital, because I used to go to go to the um, cafeteria and lunch thing with with, uh, with somebody else, and I'd dress up in my Spartan stuff and the Michigan stuff or whatever, and people would buy entry, pay entry, just to get a chance to win the football tickets. Yeah. And so yeah, I I just think the buzz, the Hamilton, and it gets out. More it gets out, you're going to find more and more people. That, yeah. um, we have been. And, and baseball. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law said, I don't care. I just, I love to win Hamilton, but dang, I take those tiger tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and they're right down the first baseline. Oh, man. They're really, that, that section, 117, I don't, I mean, I'm kind of a weirdo like that, but that 117 right out first baseline is a great foul ball area. So make sure you bring your glove because you have a, there's a good chance you're going to walk away the ball. And then um, row eight. You, say what? Row eight. Yeah. And there's Whoa. parking past. Oh, yeah. man. So, um, and if you get there early enough on a Sunday, well, it's Sunday, right? No, it's middle of the week. Oh, it's, it's the middle of the week. Okay. But if you get there early enough when they warm up, that area right there is where um, a lot of the pitchers and players do warm up. So it's a good chance if you get there early, you'll be able to get autographs. Wow. Um, interact with players. That section 117, 118 is where we would go and how we would go to the game. Just That's where we'd enter and try to sneak down. And uh, you can really interact with the players if you get there soon enough. So it's a really great that's cool. section that Brad picked out. So um, we are going to take a break because I know how we have a 30 minute time limit each segment. Okay. And we're right there at the end. So uh, we'll take a break and we'll come back. So when we went out there to be ready for you guys, because I, I, I know how fast you run, so I was like, man, Brad's only, Brad's only a mile and a half away. He should be here by now. And then I started wondering, like, was Brad hurt? Like, what's going on with Brad? And I was like, well, Brad's not running alone. There's got to be more than one person running this race. So I go, it must be. And then uh, that one fast kid. Who's the kid? Oh, yeah, he... The kid that won it, yeah. he was way out in front. I just, all of a sudden I saw some guy, I was like, oh, maybe this this can't be a runner, like a racer, I was thinking, because he's just by himself. And I was like, oh, this just must be some guy out there. Oh, yeah, and then I was like, oh, and then I've seen him run around town. So, I mean, he got the bit by Yeah, and he's just flying. And he's it, just yeah. booking. But then I realized, okay. So, then I realized, oh, that was, they must have started further back, because and then you guys said you started about, another mile or so back further than I thought he did. And it made sense because then the time lined up. Cause, um, yeah. But um, we, uh, we do love that Northern State Trail. We ran the um, one through Gaylord all the way up to the – Oh, did you? Yeah, we did that. Was it 2013, 14? Um, it was – That's a – It might have been 13. That's a 100-mile, right? Yeah, we didn't. We uh, did it as a it team. As a team, a yeah. Relay. Yeah, Dennis Dennis Verbo was on that team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was. I did run with Dennis, and he always took the longer leg. He said, like, the, there's like a 12 mile mm -hmm. leg around Black Lake or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, I think from Sheboygan. Sheboygan. Mackinac. Okay, so he always took a longer leg. He said he liked it. He said it was a lot of fun. Um, we ran two groups, and Brian and I both ran the opening leg together for the. We each were starting our own group, and it was nice because we ran the beginning first, and then we had the rest of the day kind of fart around, which um, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed. It. Well, you had to go to work. I did. <laughs> I did. I did have to go to work. That's the downside of when what it is. Came to the National City and met up. Yep. Yep. I had to work. So, um, but yeah. So, 
So they don't do that anymore, and I don't know why. You know, I talked to that guy, and of course they've had some. When he scheduled he had, a couple of years, they had hellacious weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, wind and pouring rain for the whole thing. Um, well, it rained the day. Yeah, and so, but I didn't think. I don't think the last two or three years they haven't done that. And there's another event. I don't know if you've heard of the Ragnars, mm-hmm. the yeah. Ragnar event. There's one over on the west side, and they start like in Grand Rapids, north of Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, I think. And they run up the yeah up the lakeshore, and and that's those are big big events. And your your team has to be each team member runs two legs over forty eight hours, and the legs aren't short; they're like six and eight. There was one that was, you know, you could you could get somebody that might run two. We have to run three like three, three mile legs and you it's a point to point and it's a whole team thing. You have to have a van and all this stuff. It's, it's a huge deal. We wanted to do one. We had enough runners at the bank that we were going to and get pumped to do one of those. And then of course we merged and we were going to do that Ragnar. And I said, oh, we get some faster people. If we wanted to kind of do it as a, team building thing from yeah. a bunch of people that were willing to run that and work at it and uh didn't didn't happen i'd still like to do one of those sometimes i think they'd be a lot of fun i really do you could have brad and then just i'll drive the van i'm just not fast enough for that i'm good at running long distance just not fast. see they do that mainly at night because of low traffic and then yeah. you have to have headlamps and you don't try and do that during the daylight hours. Most of the road running is done at night. Yeah. So And it's nice because it's cooler, too. Because yeah. a lot of times that yeah. stuff's in mid-July. And it can get, right. Yeah, pretty warm. So um, before we sat down, when we started the potty, we were kind of talking about today. The Boston Marathon was today. Yeah. And I asked you um, if you ever ran Boston, and your answer was? Yes, I have. And um, instantly, Brad and I became jealous. <laughs> so um, what's your – Let's start with Boston. What's your uh, favorite part of Boston? Do you have a story that would you like to share with us? Wellesley. Okay. I'm literally, you know, they talk about it. You experience it. You can't believe it. It's right at the 10-mile mark. And so you, you, you're going through, when you leave um, Hopkinton, you go through a couple little small suburbs. You get to about mile seven, you can hear this roar. <clears throat> I mean, it's three miles away. You can hear this roar of people. And it is uh, that all these girls that go to Wellesley, they stand out there all day long and they scream and shout at the top. And, you know, you try and high five them. And the road is a two lane road. So you're kind of tunneled through this. And the Wellesley experience is maybe a half mile. And it's just and and I'm, I'm sure there's other people that go there to be there. But it's right where Wellesley College is. And. The noise is deafening, and it's it so pumps you up because that's about the point where in a marathon, between ten miles and thirteen, you go. I'm starting to get tired, and I'm not even halfway there. You know, you have this mental game that you're always dealing with, and you've been running downhill. Your legs are starting to feel that downhill um, pain, and it just jacks you right out of. You get so inspired that crowd. And then the crowd from there until Newton, there's not much crowd. So you're pretty much, until you get to Newton Hills, and then it's wall-to-wall people 
all the way in because it's always run on Patriot's Day. Patriot's Day is a holiday in Maine, New Hampshire, and in Massachusetts. All federal offices are closed. Nobody works. Yeah, and just like you said, it's it's a holiday. Yeah. um, And the first year I ran it, Detroit was playing Boston, and that was the year they went. 30 and 3 to start the season and they were 10 and 0 and they were playing Boston and I, it, it was so great because it was an afternoon game and we started the race in the morning then at like 10 o'clock and so when we were going by Fenway you could hear the baseball people roar because the game was going on while the marathon's going on yeah. and so I'm thinking I'm going to pick up the paper the Boston Globe is going to have all the stuff about the Tigers being, you know, 10 and all and playing at Boston. Nothing. Everything in the Boston Globe was Boston Marathon. Everything. I mean, that whole community is it's, it's nuts. Yeah. I mean, you, you just don't. That's why people go there and do it. It's just it's the event. It, it, it's the center of everything. Everywhere you went. Are you here for the marathon? You're here for the marathon? You know, yeah. Did you run it? Did you finish it? You know, everywhere you went. It was just marathon, marathon, marathon. How many marathons have you run, Joe? Do you have a kid? 32 or so. It's impressive. Did you run Grand Rapids the year I was ran it? I did not. Okay. Were you in Detroit that Detroit, year? Detroit, yeah. yeah. I'm glad. That was a miserable experience. <laughs> Although when I ran today, I got to about halfway through the mile and a half, and my legs started feeling a little loosey-goosey, and I was like, I could have run again. It was the first time I've said that since I've been kind of eking out mileage and just doing a little bit. And today was the first day where I was like, I could have do this for a while. Like I could have just kept running and running and running and not even just. And, I told, and then I told Alice, and I go, it's time to go outside. Enough of this indoor <laughs> gerbil stuff. Let's get out and get some pavement. So, um, but yeah. So then um, you're in New York City, you said? Yes. Uh, what's your favorite part of New York City? <clears throat> The boroughs, running through all the different boroughs, it's totally different. I, you know, it's just way different than what I expected. It sent you out to the island, and we stood out there with plastic rain jackets, you know, for a couple of hours before they start the race. But going over the Veranzano Bridge, that was pretty neat, um, just because it's a mass of humanity. Um, but I, I like the fact that we went through all the bureaus and in the finish in Central Park is way cool. Yeah, I can imagine. I, it, it, it is really cool. Um, it, a lot of people, different people, different a different feel every time you went to a different borough there. Um, I wanted to do it to say I did it. And I was able to get in. And so, you know, I was lucky. And, um <clears throat> It seems like that would be that could give me a run a marathon again. Yeah, I don't. I'm just playing that fast enough for Boston. I have no um, desire to put my body through what I would have to do to probably get to be that fast. Be a charity runner. Yeah, I could be a charity runner, um, but who knows? It'd be a lot of charity. But um, yeah, but, you have uh, to raise a considerable sum of money to get in as a charity runner. Yeah, I mean it's not. That's a daunting task in itself, just to go out and get those kind of pledges. And yeah, I think it's like at least five thousand dollars, yeah, something like that. Yeah, at least. Yeah, and um, it's crazy though, though to look at it. And, uh, 
Yeah, New York City with the five boroughs. Um, we, we've gone to New York a couple times, Allison and I, and uh, I went running in Central Park just because I wanted to say I did it, and it was cool. Cool. Yeah. Where else are you in? Um, Chicago. Okay. Um, nice and flat. Flat. And the couple of years I've run it were just insufferably hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and you, this is my famous story. You never can predict what's going to happen in a marathon. And I really wanted to break 240. I mean, I was training a lot, running 100 miles a week. I had a coach, actually, a guy. People at work bought me a present one year, and they bought me a professional coach. Pete Fitzinger, who won the Olympic trials for the United States, he beat Alberto Salazar in when they ran it in Buffalo. They actually ran from Canada to the U.S. Anyway, he was my coach. He would call every Sunday night, an hour, go over my schedule, how did I feel, what I did. We'd talk, and then he'd lay out a schedule for the next week. And so I run Bayshore. And I ran 2:41, and so the next goal for me was, I want to break 2:40. And I knew that in order to break 2:40, I had to hit the 20 mile mark way uh, at 1:55. I mean, I really did. I mean, I had to hit 1:55 or lower because you're going to be tired. You, you know, you're not going to run a sub 40 10k. Realistically, you think well, that's easy. Not after running 20, you know, <laughs> hard. And so I get to Chicago. I got the worst sunburn in my life. It's like a day like it was today here, clear blue sky, sunshine, and 75 degrees, no wind. Um, and I said, well, it, it is what it is. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to run my time splits. M my wife was with me at the time. And she, I said, I'll be by this stop and this stop at these times. Um, and so I hit 20 miles at 152. And I said, I, I got a chance here. I hit mile 22 and the wheels came off. <laughs> I'm in the brownstones. And it used to, in that year, they finished in Lincoln Park. And you had to go up an exit and then down an exit to oh. the Lincoln Park parking lot zoo. And that's where it finished. At mile 22, all I could think of is jog to the next water station, walk through it, have some water. I got to that final point. Right now, I mean, I, I, I threw all that. There's no way I'm going to break 240. I mean, I, I forgot that. I'm walking a lot. I got this. There's no way I can, I can go up that hill. No way. I started walking. I said, I can't do this. I mean, that's how bad it was. So I can't do this. I drug my butt up over that thing, walked down that ramp, and just out of pride alone, I said, I am jogging to the finish line. And she was waiting there. She says, it's three hours. What are you? I said, yeah, I know it's three hours. <laughs> she says, you were supposed to be here 20 minutes ago. You know, and I look back and I'm going, I would die to run a three-hour marathon today. <laughs> Not that way, but oh, my Lord. So you never can predict what happens in America. Oh. You know, in the in the time I ran Bayshore, the weirdest thing happened. I'm driving over there Friday night. My car dies in uh, Mancelona. I sleep in my car in the Glens parking lot. And I figure I'm going to hitchhike in in the morning to do the race. You know? And so I get, get up in the morning. The car starts. I get going. I get halfway 
down 72, it dies. I get out, I hitchhike, and I'm in my running clothes. I hitchhike. Somebody picks me up. Says, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to start of the marathon at Bayshore." So I run Bayshore with no expectations. I felt fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Stan Mishley had ran the 10K, and he's on his bicycle. And I'll never forget it. About mile 16, he comes out and goes, "Chetri, what the hell are you doing up here? You're in second place." <laughs> I said, "Stan, I feel fabulous." He says. Well, the first place guy's not far in front of you. And I never saw him. You know, I, I never saw him. He, he, he ended up, like, beat me by, like, he ran, like, a 238. And I was, you know, three and a half minutes behind him. But I, I remember looking, not even looking at miles. I said, wow, I, I'm going to start checking the miles. I was going faster, faster. I mean, at that point in the race, I just, and I, and I think my mind disengaged from running. I was thinking about all this other thing. What am I going to do with my car? Where, how am I going to get back? What am I going to do at the end of the race? I didn't think about what I was doing. And Mark and I have a theory about really fast runners don't think. They don't think. They're usually pretty goofy or they're little. They're, they're the people that they just go out and run. Mm-hmm. They just go out and run. They run as fast as they can, as long as they can. And they don't worry about it. You know, I think you it's just so hard to overthink when you're in marathon. You know, you hold your, even in a half, in any race for that matter, you, you can't think about it. <laughs> you just, your training's going to take you to where it's going to take you. Just go have fun and run. Hard to do, though. It's hard to disengage the brain. Oh, I was a hot mess in the marathon. I've told it a couple <laughs> times. But the biggest problem was is it was raining terribly the day before. So when we got down there, I, th- I was like, I'm not ready for this kind of rain. So then Allison, I went to a shoe store, a running store, bought a second pair of shoes and a second pair of clothes. And then I had to get the map. Of course, she doesn't know Grand Rapids. And I'm like, all right, I need you to meet me here. And I go about somewhere along this time. And then if I'm soaked wet, then I'll have to change. You know, like, you know, I'll just, you'll give me the clothes and I'll just change it on the side of the road. And then away I go. And of course, you have the morning and the rain stopped and it was dry as could be, and then didn't have to worry about it. But you talk about the rain that they talk about having the same kind of conditions this year that they had last year at Boston with that relations, you know, northeaster that came in. They actually had a tornado that went through Delaware, and that was at Stormfront, and that was at the start before they started the race, and then it blew past. So they actually had ideal conditions today. Because the storm had just went by, it was damp, and then later in the day, the sun came out, and they saw all these guys that were running, and I'm going, and I interviewed the two Americans that finished in the top five, top ten. I said the conditions were ideal. I mean, this is like perfect conditions for for the marathon. So you just never know. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Did you? Uh, so you've uh, done Bayshore. Any yeah. other um, out of state ones have you ran? Uh, Minneapolis. Okay. Uh, that's a absolutely gorgeous. I would recommend that to anybody. Um, it goes through where all of the, they call it the Minneapolis Lake Country. There's these small lakes where these big, beautiful old homes are built, and they loop you through there. Big, you know, it's just gorgeous. Very, very nice, nice course. Um, then Duluth, which is probably my favorite because they train you up to, um, two harbors and then they shut the highway down 
would be like shutting down US 23. And you run from two harbors into Duluth. And the post party after that is extraordinary. Hmm. Um, uh, Did you ever go out west? Like St. George. Okay. That's all downhill. They, you can't run a Boston qualifier because it's too downhill. It does take you up at elevation and you just kind of run. But there are some uphills. But they, they disallow your time because it has a, a too much of a downhill gradient. Okay. So I thought about when I was looking at him, I thought Austin was on my list. Oh, that would be fun. I've heard that it, Austin's a great city and there's a really cool party afterwards and um, it's relatively flat. So I think the thing that scares me always is hills because there's not a lot of hills around here to right. train. So hills always scared me. So, we, that's why we go. We used to, when we were training, especially before Boston, I remember the first time I went to Boston, Wayne Christopherson, I said, he had already run it. I said, so we, we used to train down at the Black River Hills. And there's a seven and a half mile loop where you go down um, F41, cross Black River Road, and then come back right to Chippewa Point. Seven and a half miles. Then we do it twice. Um, so you get 15 miles and it's all hills. And I said, so are Newton Hills, they, can you compare them to, um, oh, he says, they're, they're not as bad as the Harrisville Hills, or the Black River Hills. Ha, my, my, <laughs> fibber he is. Either that or he had a bad memory. I thought, oh my Lord. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they're a little bigger and they're a little longer downhills. So um, I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on I know you just did a neat little project with the Besser Museum. Yeah. So I just thought I'd share with our uh, our listeners a little bit about that, if you want my talking about yeah, it. Yeah, they're um, doing a, a video presentation of people's memories for the 50th anniversary of the uh, moon landing and the moonwalk. And so they're bringing in people that have memories, they think, that are unique. And at the time that it happened, I was with uh, Alpina's uh, senior Babe Ruth team. Uh, we won the state championship playing in Wellington, Kansas. And most of the games were at night because it was so so hot during the day. And I remember they had a mixer and where all the teams meet each other and they have a little dinner. So we were walking back to um, get on a bus to go back to our motel. And all the houses, it was like a community like Alpina, all the houses, every TV was on, and everybody in their house was watching the moonwalk. I mean, and being telecast live, you know, it just kind of floored me. Um, you know, my, my dad always told me he never thought that that was impossible, and, and he was a scientist. He said, but I would have never would have dreamed somebody would have said, you'll be able to watch it live in your living room. He said, that would be unfathomable. Um, so... But that was my memory. I was, you know, 17 years old, just graduated from high school. And that was the year the cicadas hatched. And so the, all the trees in Wellington that had these clicking the cicadas bugs. And, of course, we don't, we, we don't get them here because yeah. it's too, too far north. I never heard of them. And so I learned about that and watched the moonwalk, just walking down, that, down those streets. Kind of a neat memory. But they have a display um, at the museum that they put up. Um, of the anniversary of the 50th, uh, 50th anniversary of that moonwalk. And it's pretty phenomenal. I'd encourage people to, to go out and take a look at that. 
Um, a lot of people have brought in newspapers and other things that they'll be able to. And the video is being uh, being put together of, of people and their their memories. So you'll be able to go in there and watch this video of people talking about what do, what were you doing? What do you remember when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon? So it's a pretty cool event for the museum. When I was ran into you there, yeah. they had part of that display up, and I was checking it out. And really is phenomenal fascinating stuff. yeah very very well done yeah um i mean i wasn't alive but the mystique is still you know just i can just remember talking to my mom about it she remembered it and um, just everything that goes along with that it's really cool yeah, it, it is you know it, it, because you know it was what in 78 or 77 it was the last time a guy's been on the moon I mean, it's been a long time. I mean, think about that. I mean, that that, that whole space program, um, that was the last time I think they really, the, the last time they used the Saturn rocket was to put up Skylab. And, that, and there's there's been no exploration um, of the moon after that. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of sad in a way if you think about it. And so that you have generations of people that never got to grow up with the excitement about all the stuff that they were doing to prepare to even just, just send a, first of all, we got to get a rocket and, a, and, and astronauts around the moon and back before we can even think about putting them on the moon and then flying them back up and then reattaching and coming back home. I mean, that's, that's just a phenomenal um, engineering feat. <laughs> so... All right. Well, we'll take a break and we'll come back. We'll do our top five. All right. Now we're going to do our top five. And this week it is our top five runners. Once again, we're all runners here. So and I'll get us started. And my number five is Michael Johnson. Ooh, ooh good pick. Nice. The gold shoes. Yes. Probably the best ever from the U.S. in the 200-400, so. By far. In fact, that 200 that he ran in what Olympics was it? They said it might have been the best track race ever. He ran a 100 split after his first 100, faster, as fast as the world record almost. <laughs> he was the real deal. That's a good one. Yeah, he was. I mean, and he did. He just was so cool about it, right? I mean, oh, yeah. That's what made it like so. I don't know. It seems like always the the hundred meters always seems like to be the sexiest because it's so fast and so you know it's the, the over in eleven seconds, yeah. you know. But um, and I don't think anyone really ever wants to tune in for all those long distance ones. But um, it's always amazing to me that he really captivated. That Olympics, he did. Crazy. Yeah, he did. Uh, let me make number five. Do, 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 do. Oh, Mary Decker Slaney, number five. And the only reason I remember her is because she fell when I was a kid. <laughs> but what I do remember is that it wasn't necessarily she fell in '84, right? Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't her falling in '84, but it was the fact that she got back up in '88. And I remember that really stuck with me and it really resonated with my mom. I just remember being a kid. And her falling and seeing that and it impacted me. But then I remember her trying again and the idea that something uh, 
that you could just tell she was just devastated. It was taken away from her. Yep. And then uh, to be able to just try to get pull yourself back up and make a run at it all over again. Yeah. It's, it's always resonated with me. So, yeah. My number five? Yeah. Edwin Moses. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Edwin Moses. Over 100 races and 400 hurdles for 11 years. Never got beat. And made every final hundred, what hundred and eleven, I think it was. Um, I just and, and he took and you think about that was an eleven year span how you age in hurdles and it's always these young strong stud guys. He was all about technique and it just and he just never lost that. I was just phenomenal and he was a great guy. He's an ambassador for the sport. He still is. I mean, he's just he's done more to help the Olympic movement uh, than probably any other American athlete. Um, but his his record just blew me. He's one of my favorites. So, but my number five. Great. Great. My number four is Shalane Flanagan. One New York last year. 2017. Yeah. She's on my list as well. Right. I'll make her my number four too. So I'm going to save some time. Yeah. That and she wrote well, one of my favorite cookbooks. <laughs> hey, bonus. Again, I think my favorite thing about her is um, she's a great ambassador for the sport, too. She yeah. does, uh, seems like she does a lot. I mean, middle it's just through Twitter and everything. I I'm surprised her. she wasn't at uh, Boston today. She's hurt. Oh, is she? Mm -hmm. So that young girl that didn't run last year, she finished third. Third. Third from the United States. Wow. She's just a little tiny. And she's about 19 or something? Yeah. yeah. She's really yeah. young. She went yeah. to Oregon. I never remember her name. I can't think of her, but I remember. She, she probably weighs all like 80 pounds. I remember hearing about her a couple of years ago when she was yep. in high school. And they were like, she's going to be the yeah. next great. She was third. That, that's a podium finish. That's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. For 19 and being yep. so small, it's crazy. So, yeah, our, that was our number four. My number four is Joan Benoit Samuelson. Um, only because I think she moved women's running in the United States way ahead to um, encourage more young women to get more into distance after winning the Barcelona Olympics in such cool fashion. Took off in that heat. And all those, all the great runners behind her were running in the pack and let her go, and she didn't, she didn't fade. She just beat them. And I mean, she's still coaching and, and running. I mean, at age forty, she qualified for the Olympic trials. <laughs> she's now fifty, and she she thinks she, she could qualify again for next year. I mean, she's just phenomenal. She's. I grew up with my era, you know. Yeah. I've got pictures with her when I was at Boston, That's you know. Awesome. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. yeah. And the beauty is, she sent. I sent her a picture that I had of her and I, um, and I found her address online. Just sent it to her and said, "Would you autograph this? Send it back, and I want to post it where the girls that run. We at the time we had some really good female track team, distance runners." And she sent it back with me with a bunch of other stuff and said, I apologize for being so late with this. You know, I, I'm so glad that you, you remember me. And I'm, 
Who could forget? (laughs) (laughs) So that's my number four. I think she ran Boston today, too. Did she? Probably. Uh-uh. I think it was under four hours or something, too. Oh, oh man. You can look it up after you give your yeah. third. Right. My number three is Carl Lewis. <laughs> I just love Carl Lewis. Yeah. I mean, you singing the national anthem. How can you? Well, <laughs> I'm trying to sing yeah, the national anthem. It's, it's crazy how you can make one mistake like that and it haunts you. You can win a ton of gold medals and literally represent America and be on Wheaties boxes and everyone's yeah. going to remember you forgetting the words <laughs> of the national anthem when you're singing. During the New Jersey Nets game, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, man. Just, he was a dominant runner in the 80s. He was. So. Allison Figgs is my number three. Only a woman to win six gold medals in track and field. So, I mean, um, I think it's kind of crazy. I don't know. I mean, Summer Olympics are always funny. And, you know, it's – well, it's been fun to follow Michael Phelps. I really don't know what I'm going to do, actually, once Michael Phelps is done. Because it seems like it was just always kind of following him and the dream team around. And then there was other things. And, of course, now um, I watch the shot put, obviously, a lot because of my daughter and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it's been uh, – she was always – I mean, it was really cool watching her. It's fast. I'm always jealous of sprinters because it's just it's something that I've never ever had in me. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Prefontaine's my number, my number three. That's a solid pick, Joe. He might be on my list too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it just he's still tragically taken at the prime of his of his uh, running career, but I don't know how many. Records he held at so many different distances, world records, not just U.S. records. Um, he he stills inspiration to people. I mean, he's a whole marketing campaign just in with his name pre for yeah. crying out loud, you know. Uh, and I just the thing I liked about him most was his philosophy. I'm, I'm not going to go out and run slow. I'm not going to run and hold back. If you beat me. You're gonna die beating me. I'm gonna make it hard for you to beat me. And he ran hard. He didn't do. You know, they get so strategic, like in a ten thousand on the track. You see him doing these slow, slow, slow. Not with Prefontaine in there. He he would hold the pace up, and he'd run it to the to the finish. I and mean, that's the epitome of the what you want. You know. Um, you talked about that earlier. How a lot of times it wasn't worrying about your splits, your times. All it's just. Going out and running, and I think that's always was amazing with him. And uh, yeah, and Joan ran a three oh four today. Oh, did she a three oh four? Yes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. My number two is I'm gonna mess up his first name. Haley Gilbert. No, it's Eliud Kipchoge. Oh, Kipchoge. Kipchoge yeah. was second today. No. I don't No, he, didn't he, well, no, he didn't. No. No, he didn't. Kipchoge, no. I'm thinking of the female Kipchoge was second. Oh, might be. Who won it last year at Boston. She tried to catch this gal. And wasn't she second or third the year before? Yeah. Yeah. Is she the one that. She dropped out. No, she dropped out last year because of the cold and rain. Yeah. And, but she had won it the year before. Okay. She's the one with a 
It's got a real weird form. Yes. Yes. It's kind of like. It's real long legged. Yeah. She kind of like has. Yeah. Almost like duck. Feet, yeah, I can't figure it out. Like, I remember Eric called me up. You remember talking about that with him? Yeah. How we like just, man, you went with this girl that's winning Boston right now. What do you say? He's like, dude, she's all over the place, but that's how she runs and she just yep. flies. And I was yep. like, oh, man. Then I remember watching it. I was like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Because you hear so much about all these different poses and things. And then I guess it really doesn't matter if you're just whatever works. Whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, my Kipchoge is the male. And set the Berlin record as the fastest marathon ever. He actually, a couple years ago, Nike was doing this. He was a guy that almost. Yeah, he ran a 210. Two in 10 seconds. Yeah. Two well, hours saying, and ten seconds. They're saying is he the one that's supposed to go sub two this year? They're yeah, saying there's somebody that's gonna try. He's yeah, gonna so try. Probably the best hope for it to happen. That is insane. It is. But you remember what Bill Rogers said? I, yeah, I went over to Traverse City, the track club, had him into the high school and you know, they do the fundraiser thing. And he's a goofy guy. I mean, he really is. He's out there. And he just says, you know, running two oh eight's nothing. He said, I can't even fathom running, going out there and taking four hours to run. He says, those are my heroes. <laughs> he says, running a marathon in, le- in, in just a couple hours is a heck of a lot easier than four hours. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he's talking like that. And I started thinking about him. Though. He's probably right. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Um, my number two is Ryan Hall. So, um, of course, he's all... Changed. guy. Yeah, he's all changed now. So I mean, he's all jacked, all muscular. And Is he really? Yeah, he's all like forty pounds of muscle now, and he's really not into the what he was. His wife do the running. Yeah, no, he's yeah. Kids to take care of. Yeah, so but yeah, it's kind of crazy. But um, I love how he took so much pride running as American. Yeah, and he that really. Almost probably resonated with him too much. I think sometimes it was a burden he carried around, and he felt that pressure every time he went out there. But it was also one of my favorite things about him. So yeah, number two, Frank Shorter. Yeah, I think he should have won two gold medals um, because uh, he got doped out of that one in Montreal. That should have been his second. That should have been a repeat win for him. Um, and what he's done for the running, that, that started the running boom. After he won the marathon in Berlin, is it Berlin? Not Berlin, yeah. No, no, no. Munich. Munich, where they had that terrible time. Um, after he won that, the running boom took off. I mean, that was the start of the running boom. Um, so that's my guy. My number one is Usain Bolt. I just love watching him run. Flashy, but he backs it up. So, 100 and 200. Yeah, yeah, it's hoodie. I do. Dab, early dabbing before bolting. Yeah. Um. Again, he was amazing. Yes, he was. Absolutely. Just a sheer force of whatever he is. Just unbelievable. Fun watching him run. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it's fun watching them without when you know you're just nothing like that. He's just like the exact opposite. So, um, Pre was my number one. So, uh, 
just everything that Joe said. Plus, I mean, just the idea that so much of what I know about running is just kind of trying to pace yourself and trying to make sure you finish. And he's so much the opposite of that. Yeah. And it's just so amazing. And like, like you said earlier, you can really get in your head sometimes when running. And uh, I do that. And it's just the idea of just letting it all loose right away. I mean, even for you, if you just went out and I, I'm just going to sprint and go fast until I just burn out in a blaze of glory. You didn't look But you get what I mean, though. The, the whole idea, that concept just seems so crazy. But, you know, we used to run every year at the start of the running season, go down on St. Patrick's Day run in Bay City, and it finished. It started at Essexville High School, and you run out this country road, and then you take a, take a right. And so you can see the one-mile mark. And so... We're running it, and I'm running with Stan Mishley and Wayne and Randy, and we're running. And I'm looking. There's Stan. He's at the one-mile mark. And I'm going, it's like he's running. What's like a 440? It stands 40. He's, he seems 40 seconds at that. I said, I'm looking, and I'm looking at my watch, and he's going by the one-mile mark. 440. I'm going, Boucher said, what the heck is he doing? He's going he's gonna to die. And so... Never saw him again. We get to the finish line because he come down the big parade route. And they get to the finish line, stands there and I'm going, so what was your time? He says, 26 something. I said, what? What were you doing out there? He goes, I'd run with all these young college runners. And he goes, I ran that first mile and they're just calling out the splits. I wasn't even thinking. He said, guy goes 441. He's going, wow, that's fast. I wonder how long I can run this fast. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's the way Stan thought. Yeah. And he says, well, that last mile was painful. <laughs> but, I mean, here he was. And all of a sudden, he started getting these invitations to, to, to run because he was a master's runner and running. Really, you know, almost world-class. I mean, master's class times of going crazy, Stan. But that's the way you got to run, right? Yeah. You just don't think about it. And then, Lay it yeah, out there. It's so awesome. Yeah. Well, my number one, and I'm and I'm prejudiced because I just finished his biography, is Emil Zatopek, from the, the Czech runner who was the last Olympian to win the 5,000, 10,000 in the marathon and won Olympics. And he came back the next Olympics and won the 5,000 and the 10,000, but he didn't win the marathon. Um, he, if you, you want to read a great book, read his book, Today We Die a Little, is the name of the book, because that's what he always say at the starting line to his competitors. He was the most beloved guy, and he, and he had to train and run under a almost dictatorial communist regime that used him, and he never lost his positive attitudes. And, I mean, he, he, he is just, after reading that book, he's my favorite. And I used to train, he used to make his wife piggyback and he, tr he runs sprints with her on his back. <laughs> I mean, you read about this guy, the stuff he would do is he would run in four foot snow because he, he was confined to barracks. There wasn't any track in army boots. And he ran, he says, strengthens my legs. I mean, his training was no human. You could ever do that. You would think, um, but he, he, he was a great runner. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's crazy when you hear stuff like that, and then you think about all the technology that has evolved in these high-end oh, yeah. marathons, like when they eat and when they train and when they rest and just well, everything I, goes along with it. I watched them. You know, I'm a big Tour de France follower, and 
I watch that and now they have these guys are all wired and they know how many mets of energy they're using. Oh, you got to back down. Go, Just get on the bike and ride. You know, everything is so fueled. Oh my gosh, my technology. Well, we'll come back and wrap it up. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Joe, for coming on. Thank my you. pleasure. This has been great. I enjoyed it. Oh, uh, it's been awesome. We'll have to have you back on soon. Um, since you're here, let's talk about the Thunder Bay 5K or Thunder Bay Theater 5K one more time. Um, it is May 4th. May 4th. 9 a.m.? Yes. You can register, uh, I think, at 8, right at the theater. Okay. Uh, and the start is right across the street from the theater. Okay. And then you can, if you register early, you get a t shirt. And if you don't, there'll be shirts available on the site. It's $10 registration, I believe. Yes. Which is a super reasonable fee for a race. Right. I, mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know how much of our listeners actually pay for race registration, but $10 <laughs> is a steal. Um, and then you have a chance to win two tickets to Hamilton NMA and two Tigers tickets to the Philly or Tigers versus the Phillies. When? June. Sometime. <laughs> Sometime. End of June, right? It's end of, middle, end of June. Middle, end of June. So uh, what are you doing this weekend, Brad? Um, Nothing much, just getting ready for Easter. It is Easter weekend. Um, you got to find a time to go to the theater, see the glass menagerie. Please do. It's great. Did you get to see it? I haven't yet. My family went, and I've seen I, I've seen it before. And they said the production wasn't what they expected. And they, even when my wife says, "I'd go see it again." Wow, I go, that that speaks well too. How well it was done. That's awesome. Uh, Alice and her mom went last Friday. We were supposed to go Thursday and then uh, they had laryngitis, so they canceled it. Well, that's I was scheduled to go yeah. Thursday and, and they canceled on me. And so that Donna, her mother went on Friday night. Awesome. And then um, Friday, so Friday night from six, or so Friday for 12 to 3, it is kids at Thunder at Art and Loft. You can paint a fish, the fish mural. And then from six to eight, it's adult time. They'll have wine and some hors d'oeuvres. It's all free, but you can you have to buy the the booze and stuff. Yeah. And then Saturday from eleven to two, it's family. So kids, everybody come on down. Uh, Tony Hendricks will be there. You can paint a fish, put your little whatever you want on it, and then of course there'll be the installation for later in July. This is your last opportunity to be a part of it. Suggest so that. And then I think that's all I have going on this weekend. Because it's holiday weekend, so time with family. Right. I, I was way off in the Tiger tickets date. It's July 24th. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was July, but it wasn't positive. But I think when you originally were looking at it, it was June. I was looking for June, probably. Not as hot as July or August. But. Yes. Um, next week, our guest is hopefully Ken Gumble. So he is the um, North American, I don't know if he's a chairman, but uh, for Cosworth. So they do engines for Ferrari and Corvettes and all high-end stuff. And yeah, he is fancy. Uh, he, well, yeah. A lot of people don't know that he does that. He travels to Detroit and, uh, you know, he lives out in Grand Long Lake, but he travels Monday, you know, every Monday morning down there, spends a week and then comes home. So, um yeah, he's a really cool guy, and uh, um, hopefully we'll have him on the pod. 
So once works out. Uh, Joe, thank you for coming on. Again, thank you. My pleasure. Thank oh, I'm you. so glad that we were able to finally do this. It made me very happy. So, yes. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. See ya. Thank you.